you probably are already seated in a very comfortable position, hopefully in your home, in your living room. Um, but um, I want you to grab your coffee, okay? Um, if you haven't had it yet, uh, I want you to get comfortable. Um, I'm excited about what I want to talk about today and what God has laid in my heart to teach you today. Um, but, uh, but thanks so much again for joining us, Grace Church Online. I don't know if you know anything about Sherlock Holmes or Watson, the whole story. There's plenty of movies that are made uh, about them. But, um, but I once heard a, a fun story. I want to kind of read it for you today about Holmes and Watson. Here's, here's how the, the story goes. After a good meal and a bottle of wine, they laid down for the night and went to sleep. Some hours later, Holmes awoke, quite startled, and nudged his faithful friend awake. Watson, Watson, look up at the sky and tell me what you see. Watson replied, I see millions and millions of stars. Holmes asked, what does that tell you, Watson? Watson pondered for a moment. Astronomically, it tells me that there are millions of galaxies and potentially billions of planets. Horologically, I deduce that the time is approximately a quarter past three. Theologically, I can see that God is all-powerful and we are insignificant. Meteorologically, I suspect that it'll be a beautiful day tomorrow. Why, Holmes, what does it tell you? Holmes was silent for a moment. Watson, you idiot, someone has stolen our tent. <laughs> I don't know if uh, sometimes you just miss the obvious. I think we all do at times, right? If you're anything like me, listen, if you're anything like me, you miss the obvious with your wife, especially when she tells you to go to the grocery store or Costco and you come back with some different items and you miss the obvious thing you were supposed to get. Love you, babe. Love you, babe. <laughs> but here's the thing, we miss the obvious all the time, even if it's staring us in the face. And I think sometimes when it comes to the person of Jesus, so many of us have missed the obvious truth, the obvious answer. Last week, we looked at, um, at a portion of Scripture where Jesus asks his disciples a very important question, and he says, who do you say I am? Then Peter declares, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. What a powerful proclamation. What a powerful declaration that Peter said in that moment. And then, of course, uh, we were challenged, and I, and I encouraged you to, to think about this question for yourself and answer it for yourself. Who do you say Jesus is in your life? I think for, for many people, we would agree with Peter. We would side with Peter and say, Yes, Jesus, he is the Christ, the son of the living God. But for many, we don't give Jesus that title. Nor, listen, nor do we see Jesus as this evil man that once lived that we just can disregard now. In fact, many people today are somewhere in the middle. Many people today kind of see Jesus as this idea in the middle, and, and, and we say things like, well, Jesus was a, a good moral teacher. He wasn't God, and, and he wasn't a bad person, but he was just a good moral teacher that you and I, we can learn from today, we can take things and apply it to today. I mentioned this last week. Many people give Jesus a measure of respect and honor but we fall far short for honoring him for who he really is. And this is where many of us are 
when it comes to the person of Jesus and who he is, right there in the middle. But Jesus never left this to be a consideration for him because, listen, of who he claimed to be. Jesus actually claimed to be God. Let me say this again. Turn up your television, okay? Jesus claimed to be God. He actually did. And even that alone has been debated by so many people, whether or not he claimed to be God. Some people will argue, nope, he never did. He never claimed it. Other people will say, sure he did. And there's all kinds of discussion around this. So I want to go ahead and take a moment, and I want to look through some Jesus claims with you. I want us to kind of look at this together so we can clearly see that he did, in fact, claim to be God. Now, the verse I just mentioned, the verse we talked about last week in Matthew um, chapter uh, 16, uh, we we looked at this passage of Scripture, and when Peter uh, declared that Jesus was the Son of God, is certainly one of those passages where Jesus is actually alluding to the idea that he is God. Because the moment Peter declared it, right after Jesus responded and affirmed Peter by saying, you did not get this by flesh and blood. You got this from my Father. Meaning, what you just said is true. Jesus is affirming that that is the truth. That is the reality. But let's look at um, some other claims together. We're going to go through this fairly quickly, so just be ready to maybe take a screenshot or take some notes today, okay? Here's what Jesus claimed. Jesus claimed that he always existed. He's eternal. Here's what it says in John 8, 58. Before Abraham was, I am. Now listen, if, if you're a theologian out there, that, 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 those two words, that phrase, I am, in, in Greek it's ego emi. And here's, here's basically, if you remember the, the um, burning bush with Moses, and Moses is asking Yahweh God, he's asking, who should I tell them sent me, right? What's your name? And he says, if you know this, I am that I am. He's the self-existing God, right? All eternal, everlasting to everlasting, I am. Jesus is identifying with that. He's saying, before Abraham was, I am. And so he's claiming divinity. He's claiming he always existed. Jesus claimed, here's another verse. Jesus claimed, he and the Father are one. He and the Father are one. John 10, 30, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Here's another verse let me give you. Jesus also claimed, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. John 14, 8 through 9, it says this. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? And here it is. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? So I want to take a moment here because just these last couple of verses, you know, that I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. 
Um, Jesus is alluding to something in theology, a doctrine that we believe called the Trinity. The Trinity. And let me just kind of give a quick note about the Trinity, Trinity real quick, okay? I, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and admit to you, okay? I do not fully understand the Trinity and all that it is in its entirety, nor will I ever, okay? If anybody comes to you and says, yes, I can understand the Trinity completely, totally in its entirety, they are misinformed. If I could understand all of it, I'd be God. You know what I'm saying? So I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I do not fully understand it completely. However, it is clearly communicated, communicated in Scripture. We do take it by faith. But let me help us today um, kind of get a, a, a little, just a little bit better understanding of the Trinity. So recently, um, like many of you, I've been a, I've been a homeschool teacher, okay? Can, I, feel the, I, feel, I feel like I just connected with somebody today, okay? Uh, I've been a homeschool teacher, and my kids, um, they have math assignments, right? My son especially. And uh, some of the assignments that, that he gets are problem-solving math problems, right, that he has to work out. Well, there are times that he will look at a problem, he writes an equation, and he answers it. And if he just look at the equation, he actually got the right answer. However, according to the problem he's trying to solve, he used the wrong math. For, for, so, for example, he used addition when he was supposed to use multiplication. You, you understand? And this happens all the time. He's a third grader, and he's trying to figure out math, and it's great, and I love it because he comes up to me and says, Dad, I need some help, and it's great. I, we get to kind of interact there. Um, and here's what I want to kind of present to you, just again, a little better understanding of the Trinity. Many of us, many of us think today the Trinity, we think of the Trinity like addition. And we don't really understand it because how can three equal one? One plus one plus one doesn't equal one, it equals three, and it doesn't make sense in our minds, and so we start to kind of, you know, we kind of lose ourselves and we're confused. Jesus claimed, he and the Father are one. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Trinity is spoken about all throughout human history. The very beginning in Genesis, it says that let us make man in our image. It's, it's, it's Trinitarian, it's community. How can this make sense? Well, I think some of the problem is don't think of it as one plus one plus one equals one. That's bad math, okay? Think of it as one times one times one equals one. Now that's good math and good theology. It's himself times himself times himself equals himself. It's God the Father times God the Son times the Holy Spirit equals God, the Godhead, the Trinity. So let's continue talking about this. Let's continue looking real quick about with these Jesus claims. So he's already claimed, you know, me and the Father are one. He claimed to be eternal. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But Jesus also forgave sin. Now, something we have to understand, lean in real closely. When it comes to reading Scripture, when Jesus makes a claim or when Jesus talks, we all know that he didn't say that in English, Right? There's an original language, right? There's a different language that he had, and, and the Bible is written in Greek and Aramaic and Hebrew, and there's, there's portions. He didn't say that in English. So what we have to get is a cultural context, a historical context when we're reading these scriptures. So when Jesus forgives sins, 
For example, in Mark 2, verse 7, he says, the people are responding, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. You're going to see that word around Jesus a lot because, again, he claimed to be God. Who can forgive sins but God alone? The cultural context, Jesus understood and the Jewish community of his day understood that only God can forgive sin. So this was huge for people. He looked at the paralyzed man, healed him, and said, your sins are forgiven right there. He's claiming to be God. But regardless of how we're reading this, something that's so important when we're trying to get a cultural understanding, historical context of Scripture, is what did the people hear? I just mentioned John uh, chapter 10, verse 30, that he said, me and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. What did the people hear? Here's what they said, because Jesus also claimed it, and the people heard him claim to be God. John 10, 33 says this. Here's how they responded to him. We are not stoning you for any good work. So they picked up stones. They were going to kill him because of what they just heard. They replied, but for blasphemy, there's the word again, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. There you go, people. We can drop the mic right there. Jesus claimed to be God, and the people of his day heard him claim to be God. So often and so many times that they actually killed him for it. And that's the other thing. Jesus claimed to be God and was killed for it. Luke 22. This is when the religious leaders, and they, they, they arrested him. In Luke 22, verse 70, at the end of the chapter, and they all said, are you the son of God then? Again, they're, they're, they need a clear confession. They're saying, let's do this right now. Say it like it is, Jesus. And he said to them, yes, I am. Then they said, why do we need any more testimony? We have heard it from his own lips. Once again, We've heard it. And I would even say we've heard it over and over in Scripture. Why do we need any more testimony? We've heard it from your own lips. And then beginning in the next chapter, Luke 23, verse 1, then the whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate. If you know the story, he was led to be crucified. There are so many other places, so many other places we could go to see how Jesus said and claimed to be God culturally, historically. He literally said, I am God. There, there are so many places we can go. In fact, the entire gospel of John, the book of John, the entire book is dedicated to showing that reality, that truth. In John 21, he says, these things are written, his book, these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. There's so many other places we could go, but it is clear if you're going to read the Bible just on the surface and even going further into the context, it is clear that Jesus claimed to be God. So here's the point. What does that mean? It means this. As soon as Jesus claimed to be God, he removed himself from being considered as just a good moral teacher. As soon as Jesus said, I'm God, yes I am, I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, if you've seen the Father, I can forgive sins, I am eternal, I have authority. 
The moment he did that, he removed himself from being considered just a moral teacher in history, just a good guy who taught some really good things. He removed himself from that option altogether. Why? Because good, moral, wise, sane people don't claim to be God, nor do they want other people to think they are God. So this leaves what is called this this trilemma that C.S. Lewis really presented in his book, Mere Christianity. I just want to read a, a quick section of that, this trilemma idea. Here's what we're left with. Here's what it says, C.S. Lewis. I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, that I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. This is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make a choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. This is C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity. What is he saying? He's saying this. This is the trilemma. Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or he is Lord. Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or he is Lord. And this is inexorable. There's no other way around this. There's no other way to prevent another idea or option. Because of the things he said, he's either a liar, a lunatic, or he is Lord. So let me explain this a little bit. If what Jesus said was true, because either it was true or it was false, either it was right or it was wrong. But, but let's kind of go into this a little bit. If what Jesus said um, was false, was wrong, and he knew that. So the claims that he made, he made these claims, he made these God claims, and let's just say he was wrong and he knew that, that makes him a liar, okay? It means that he's not a good moral teacher. None of us should ever say that. It means he was a liar and, and he, he was a fraud and many of us have been fooled. But here's the problem with the whole liar idea with Jesus, okay? Here's why that doesn't really work. Jesus' willingness to suffer and die for his claim indicates that he certainly regarded those claims as true. So the case is strong that he did not willfully lie about his claims to be God. People don't die for what they know to be a lie. Or let me say it this way. Liars make poor martyrs. So Jesus the liar doesn't really fit well. So if, if what he said was, was wrong, was false, and he knew it, he'd be a liar. If, he, if what he said was wrong or false, and he didn't know that, it means he was delusional and deceived within himself. He was a lunatic and out of his mind beside himself. 
But let me tell you why that idea doesn't really stand firm. One article by Dr. Quentin Heider and the Psychiatric Practice in New York City did a study on the mental health of Jesus, and here's what they said. Four diagnostic categories in which delusions are a prominent feature are discussed in their study. Other symptoms which always accompany delusions are presented, again, in their, in their study. It is concluded that Jesus' life showed no other psychiatric symptoms, and therefore his claims about himself were not delusions but fact. In another article, Dan Kent, author and editor-in-chief of Renew.org and also worked in crisis mental health for many, many years, said this, I don't think he was delusional or mentally ill. He might have been wrong, but not crazy. I say this based on almost two decades of working with delusional patients. A surface-level reading of the Sermon of the Mount, a, a section of Scripture in Matthew, uh, an incredible, incredible sermon, the greatest servant ever preached. A surface-level reading of that would show you the sound teaching and logical thinking of Jesus, the kind of man that he was. No good-thinking person would conclude that Jesus was out of his mind. Even skeptics believed he was a wise man. So when you're looking at the New Testament, you're reading the biographies of Jesus, the Gospels, when you're going through this, the New Testament clearly does not make Jesus out to be a lunatic. Lunatics don't heal people, raise dead people, and dominate demons, while at the same time be marked by kindness and compassion. So, so Jesus the liar doesn't really hold. Jesus the lunatic doesn't really hold, which leaves one Logical conclusion, obvious truth, that Jesus is Lord. He is Lord. And you can either accept that or reject it. It's your choice. You can either accept it or reject it. But if you're going to reject it, and you're going to go with either Jesus is a liar or a lunatic, take a moment and think about this. Again, just for a moment, think about it. Usually, after someone dies, their impact on the world immediately begins to recede. Yet after Jesus walked the earth, his impact was greater a hundred years after him than during his life on earth. It was greater still 500 years. After a thousand years, his legacy laid much of the foundation for most of Europe. After 2,000 years, he has more followers in more places than ever. His impact on human history has been un paralleled. His presence is unavoidable. He is history's most familiar figure, and we are reminded of him every time you and I look at a calendar or we write the year 2020. We are living in the year 2020, but listen, that's 2,020 years from what? From who? It's from Jesus. He is the dividing line of human history. So how then can he just be a liar or a lunatic man who once existed in history? Now I'm from California. I grew up in San Diego area. There's another city called San Francisco. It's called San Francisco because there was once a man named St. Francis who followed a man named Jesus and his teachings. Sacramento is the state capital of California. It's called Sacramento because there was once a time where Jesus ate a meal with his disciples 
That was called a sacrament. You see, we can't even look at a map without seeing Jesus and being reminded of him. His teachings have fueled movements all throughout history and also led to the development of hospitals and inspired some of the founding, some of the world's top found, you know, universities and how they were founded. I mean, it's incredible. Songs have been written about him by so many people, too many to count. From, from the beginning, the first known listed by the Apostle Paul in his letter to the church at Philippi, to the Christmas album by Pentatonix and Kanye West's most recent album. Someone said it this way, it is in, it is in Jesus' name that desperate people pray, grateful people worship, and angry people swear. From christenings to weddings to sick rooms, it is in Jesus' name people are hatched, matched, and patched. How then is all of that possible with a man who is just a liar or he was just a lunatic? How is that possible? He was born in an obscure vi a village, a child of a, of a peasant woman. He never held an office, wrote a book, owned a home, or went to college. He, on paper, he would have been voted least likely to change the world. How on earth could have this been possible by one man? Who is this man? There's only one logical reason for any of this. One obvious truth that we cannot miss. We can't miss the most obvious truth in all of history that Jesus is Lord. He is the one who had the greatest impact in human history, and he still does today. He is the one who claimed to be God. He is the hope for all the oppressed. He alone conquered death. He alone conquered and overcame sin. He alone is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through Jesus. He is the one that every human soul is longing for and all of human history is pointing to. He is the way maker. He brings death to life. He turns mourning into dancing. He gives beauty for ashes. He turns shame into glory and graves into gardens. He is Lord of all. Jesus is the Savior of the world. It is at the name of Jesus that every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So the only reasonable response that every corner of the world, the obvious truth, must declare, Christ be magnified. From now